Hello, and welcome to the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and we have a, a very special guest with us today, uh, local author, reporter, and filmmaker, Chris Bournet. So Chris is doing a program here at Bexley Library at the end of the month. So he has a documentary coming out titled Lady Wrestler, The Amazing Untold Story of African-American Women in the Ring. Um, so Chris is presenting at the library on Tuesday, February 27th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Um, so we're just going to talk a little bit about um, his program, his background, other projects he's worked on. Um, so Chris, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, where you grew up, you know, how you started your career, if you'd like. Sure. Yeah, and thanks again, Jeff, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, first of all, have to mention that Bexley Public Library was my very first library card. I grew up in this area on James Road in the Eastmore area, so I would always ride my bike over here as a kid. And I remember when there were typewriters where the computers are now. So it's a real honor to be here and to kind of, I, I feel like I'm kind of coming full circle by actually doing a presentation here at the library. So it's a real honor. I'm really looking forward to it. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I think things have changed just a little bit. Since the, <laughs> just a little the bit. typewriters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. So I, I grew up, always wanted to be a writer. My mom enrolled me in creative writing classes. I went to Holy Spirit Catholic School in Whitehall. I went to Eastmore and Fort Hayes for high school. Then I went to OSU for college. I majored in English. But I always wanted to be a writer and always wanted to be a filmmaker. And I never really thought about why you couldn't do both. So I always grew up like writing short stories and plays and always kind of idolized people like Spike Lee. And also I kind of looked up to people like Quincy Jones and Debbie Allen who were like, you know, they call them multi-hyphenates where they do a lot of different things where they're, you know, Quincy Jones is a musician and a producer and he produced movies and was a publisher at one time. So I always kind of aspired to be, to do many different things, but always something creative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Quincy Jones talk about someone to look up to. Absolutely. Uh, he only produced the best-selling album of all time in <laughs> Michael exactly. Jackson's Thriller. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so after college, I started working at an African-American newspaper called The Call and Post and worked at various newspapers over the years. And I eventually ended up at This Week News. And so for the past four years, actually, I've been the reporter for This Week in Bexley. So I have a very local tie. I'm very familiar with Bexley and love the community. The community has always been very welcoming to me. And there's all even though Bexley is landlocked, it's an inner ring suburb, there always seems to be something going, going interesting going on in Bexley. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your inspiration behind starting a project like Lady Wrestler? Well, it was interesting. Uh, so this was back in 2006 when I first embarked on this project. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, local public relations specialist named Terry Anderson. He's also an African-American man like me. And so I would occasionally call him for story ideas for, uh, for the newspaper. And he would always tell me, he'd say, Chris, there's this really interesting woman that I grew up with. I was friends with her daughter. Her name's Ethel Johnson. And when we were growing up, she always had bodybuilders and wrestlers and actors and different colorful characters hanging out over her house. You should interview her sometime. So I sat down and interviewed her. She was gracious enough to, to do an interview with me. And she just had these amazing stories of being a professional wrestler back in the 1950s and 60s. And she talked about going all over the world, Latin America, parts of Canada, Australia, Japan. And she, she and her two other sisters, Marva Scott and Babs Wingo, were also wrestlers. 
And then when they would travel in the South, they would, when they were abroad, they would like be worshiped like heroes. But then when they traveled in the South, they would have to go in the back door of restaurants because of Jim Crow. They'd have to stay in segregated hotels. But what ended up happening because of that was they became friends with a lot of African-American entertainers and athletes who were in the same situation. So she told stories about like sitting in the lobby of a segregated hotel playing cards with Little Richard or Ike and Tina Turner staying in the same hotel as them or Ray Charles or the, the Harlem Globetrotters. And she actually talked about Joe Lewis, the, the boxer. He actually, she actually became friends with him and he refereed some of their matches. So she, she just had this really amazing story and come to find out there were dozens of women like her. Wow, yeah, I'm sure there is, you know, a wealth of stories that yeah. she would have to present and such Absolutely. a unique experience. Yeah, so I originally wrote her story uh, for The Dispatch and it came out uh, during Women's History Month in March 2006. And the Arnold Classic was going on at the same time when the story came out. And the Arnold Classic people called me and were like, wow, we never knew there were women wrestlers back then. We'd like to give Ethel a Lifetime Achievement Award. While by this time, she's retired. She's a grandmother. She didn't really like the spotlight. So she said, tell them I said thanks, but no thanks. So I just kind of felt like, wow, she has this amazing story. There's other women like her. Their story shouldn't just be kind of limited to this one newspaper article. I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. Let me ask her if she'd agree to be interviewed on camera. And she said yes to my um, you know, astonishment and delight. And then I also interviewed Ramona Isbell, who's a, who was another lady wrestler back in that same time period, and the children of Marva Scott and Babs Wingo, Ethel's two sisters. It's, it's so great that you're able to bring these stories to light and do it, it through something that sounds like has been a passion of yours for so long. Absolutely. You finally get to you know, create a film. And, yeah. Um, sounds like you know, a perfect match. Yeah. So, um, you know, about the film. So in addition to, you know, we have our program here at the library. Right. Uh, which, again, is February 27th, 7 p.m. Um, I believe that the premiere is here in Columbus. Is that yeah, correct? It's going to be at the Wexner Center for the Arts on March 29th. And actually, I did all the post-production at the Wexner Center. Um, actually, a friend of mine from high school that I went to Fort Hayes with, we were in the radio and television program together, Paul Hill. He's an editor there. They have this program called the Film TV Studio Program where they bring in filmmakers from really all over the world, and they basically give them free post-production. And it was amazing because I'm not classically trained as a filmmaker. My degree is actually in English. So they basically took my, you know, uh, <laughs> what you might want to call amateur footage and cleaned it up and make it, made it look professional you know, mixed the sound and made it look, made it sound a lot more professional. So mm -hmm. they were really generous in doing that. And so the premiere is going to be there on March 29th. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I, I believe I read on your blog, you recently yeah. attended the, uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Was well, what correct? happened was, you know, with any, pretty much any movie as an aspiring filmmaker, you enter your movie into all the big festivals. Mm -hmm. And I didn't actually get accepted into competition at Cannes, but they have this uh, movie filmmaking like networking conference that goes on at the same time as can called La Marche du Film, which is the film, you know, means the film market. Mm -hmm. So anybody who is accepted into the La Marche du Film also gets a pass to get into the, the Cannes Film Festival. It's kind of like a first come, first serve. You know, you get into this screening with such and such a movie if you put your name on the list ahead of time or whatever. So I got, to, I mean, it was really, really an amazing experience because not only did I get to network and meet filmmakers from all over the world, but I mean, literally I just stood on the red carpet and saw people like Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman and Jessica Chastain and Emma Thompson and 
Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler and star after star after star just walked by me on the red carpet. And I actually go to, got to go to the premiere of a movie with Isabelle Huppert, who's the French Meryl Streep. It was the world premiere of her movie. Got to be in the screening with her and the other actors. And so it was really an amazing experience. Yeah, it sounds like absolutely the perfect experience as a, an aspiring filmmaker. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, so you have you know experience as a, a writer and a journalist, but you've always been interested in filmmaking. I was curious, what's the, you know, what was your experience like making a film versus something maybe that you had been doing more, uh, for longer in your career, such as yeah. writing or? Well, uh, obviously, yeah, with writing, pretty much anyone could do it. I mean, of course, it takes a lot of skill to do it well or to do it at a level where you're selling a lot of books or whatever. But with, with filmmaking, it's so much more technical. It's just not a matter of picking up a pen and paper or turning on your laptop. Um, so the technical things I kind of learned as I went along, I was actually inspired by Robert Rodriguez. I read his book, Rebel Without a Crew, about him making El Mariachi. And I thought, okay, well, he's the same age, age as me. He just picked up a, a, a camera and he actually used, I think, a regular tape recorder to, to record the audio. I'm like, wow. if he can do that, then in 2006, technology has come kind of a long way. So mm -hmm. that, that was in the 90s when he did that. So I just used a digital video camera that I got used from the old core camera that used to be on Fifth Avenue in Grandview. And I, I ordered a, 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 like a boom mic and did a lot of the interviews and stuff myself. Now, if I had to do it all over again, I would probably hire a cinematographer and a sound recordist, but it was just like, sort of like I was so naive, I just kind of jumped into it and the end result is the end result. So I hope right. people like it. Well, yeah, I mean, and there's something to be said for that sort of DIY, you know, yeah, gonna, exactly. It's a, you know, a project of passion. So I'm going to yeah. do it all myself and, right. you know, work out the kinks along the way. Right. And I grew up in that era where people like Kevin Smith and like I said, I idolized Spike Lee where they just, well, although Spike Lee went to NYU film school, but I grew up in the era where a lot of people like and Quentin Tarantino were just passionate, passionate fans of cinema who just decided I can be a filmmaker too. I've sat in theaters my whole life. I've watched movies and love them. I, I, I can do it myself. Yeah, it's it's sort of a it's a a great thing about you know being alive in the year twenty eighteen yeah. in the way uh, using that sort of more accessible right technology to do things that you've always wanted to do right exactly so in in twenty sixteen you co wrote a book with uh -huh. Raymond Lambert yeah um, about the legendary Chicago Comedy Club all jokes aside right um, can you tell us a little bit about that project yeah all jokes aside was a comedy club that was really popular in the nineteen nineties. Pretty much any famous African-American comedian you can name got their start there, like Chris Rock, Steve Harvey, Monique, who went on to win an Oscar, Dave Chappelle. And how I came across this opportunity to co-write the book with Raymond was actually another lo local connection through Will Haygood, who we both started out working at the Colin Post newspaper. Actually, Will worked there in the 80s and I worked there in the 90s, but Will eventually got hired at the Boston Globe and the Washington Post. So when he would come home to Columbus, he would stop in at the call and post and say hi to everybody and you know, say, I used to work here. So Will and I kind of struck up a friendship. So Will has written several well-received biographies. Raymond had read Will's biography of Sugar Ray Robinson, didn't know Will at all, just called Will up at the Washington Post and was like, hey, I love your writing. Would you be willing to collaborate with me on a book about my life and this comedy club that I, that I founded? Will Hager was like, you know what? They're making a movie out of one of the articles I wrote. It's called The Butler. It's with Forrest Whitaker and Oprah Winfrey. 
I don't really have time to work on your book right now because I'm working on the script for this movie, but a friend of mine back home in my hometown, Chris Bourne might be interested. So Raymond called me and we just kind of went from there. Very cool. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's pretty amazing how this type of stuff, you know, you have a connection here and a connection yeah. there and it's sort of yeah. serendipitously all of a sudden you're working on this project. Exactly, yeah. So. And there was actually a documentary made about all jokes aside called Funny Business. Funny with a PH because everything in the 90s because of hip hop had a PH in it. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that documentary did very well. Played at uh, Tribeca and a lot of really prestigious film festivals and actually aired on Showtime during Black History Month, I think in 2013. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and you also, you have a work of fiction, The Chloe yeah, Chronicles? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a novel called The Chloe Chronicles, and believe it or not, I actually started working on this book when I was in middle, middle school, and it was inspired by, there was a children's author named Norma Klein who was really popular when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, and the Whitehall Library was across the street from Holy Spirit, so I used to go over there every day after school, and there was this book that always stood out to me. It was about this biracial girl who was part French and part black, and she goes on this quest to kind of find her roots and so I kind of Chloe is about a biracial woman who grows up in Paris raised by a single African-American mother and also goes on a quest to kind of find out about her identity and so over the years I just wrote various draft, drafts and I actually self-published it in, in 2012 and I'm releasing a new edition of it this summer. Okay great yeah great going the, the self-published route again or yeah, I am. Yeah. Basically, I just decided that like the book, the original book was like 600 some pages. So I basically like cut 150 pages out of it. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to try to get a wider audience. And maybe if it's a little shorter, I can get more people oh, <laughs> to, sure. to read it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's got to be hard for, you know, to cut something back that you feel is completed. And not only that, um, you know, you've worked on you've had this idea, this sort of seed of an idea since you said middle school. Yeah. But you know what? Actually, as a, as a writer and a filmmaker, you get used to having to cut stuff. I also did a play called The Springtime of Our Lives back in, and I actually wrote that play in high school and just staged it in 2013. So you find out that something on the page ends up being longer than, you know, than it plays out in your mind. So, I mean, there's all kinds of movies that, you know, dozens of scenes ends up, end up on the cutting room floor. And, and Stephen King has that famous line of, you have to kill your babies in order to make something kind of in a, in a form where people can digest it, you, you, you have to cut stuff. So if you're going to be a writer and a filmmaker, you just have to get used to cutting stuff, basically. Yeah, that, that is true. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just part of the creative process. Even, Absolutely. Even if you don't want it to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what can people expect to learn at your upcoming library presentation? Yeah, so basically during my presentation at the library, I'll just kind of explain the lady wrestler's history and how they were they were kind of brought to prominence by a man named Billy Wolf. He's no relation to the Wolf family that used to own the Dispatch and Channel 10 and all that. He was actually from Missouri, and he, he and his wife, Mildred Burke. Mildred Burke was the first women's wrestling champion, and I forget how they ended up in uh, Columbus, but there was this huge wrestling enterprise that Billy Wolf founded, and it was based downtown in downtown Columbus. It's this, this sort of like lost piece of Columbus history. There was, a, there was another documentary that came out in the, in the aughts called Lipstick and Dynamite, and they briefly mentioned Billy Wolf, and they briefly mentioned the African-American women that I interviewed. But uh, actually, another person who, who helped me with the documentary was this reporter named Jeff Lean, who's a colleague of Will Haygood's. And he said, oh, if you're, uh, Jeff Lean wrote a book about Mildred Burke called Queen of the Ring. And he was like, I interviewed him for the documentary, and he was like, if you're, if you're 
really going to research this story, you need to go to the University of Notre Dame. So I went there um, a few years ago. I mean, there was just boxes and boxes and volumes of like press clippings and um, letters from the women to different promoters saying, you know, I need this, this, and this for when I come and wrestle in Sydney, Australia next month. So I'll just kind of give an overview of the women's history and why they kind of faded into obscurity. I mean, I'm African-American. I grew up in Columbus. I never knew this story until my friend Terry just happened to mention it to me. So I'll, I'll, I'll go over their history and talk about why women's wrestling kind of started to fade away in the 60s before it kind of made a resurgence in the 80s with, um, it's called WWE now, I forget what it was, it was, I think it was called WWF originally, but. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of people have mentioned GLOW. Like whenever I tell people about the documentary, they're like, oh, so what do you think about GLOW? I honestly did not know GLOW existed until the Netflix series came out. I was not even aware of the, the 80s uh, TV show. So I actually, I actually saw like the pilot episode of Glow on Netflix and I thought it was great. And people were like, oh, did, you must have your like finger on the pulse of uh, culture to know that women's wrestling was gonna become popular. And it's just purely by happenstance that Glow came on the air when I started getting ready to release the documentary. That's so funny. That was probably about to be my next question. <laughs> was it related to Glow? And if yeah. you know, that was just a coincidence or if, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a total coincidence. And I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say how long it took me to, to finish the documentary because I actually started working on it in 2006, finished like a cut of it in 2013, and then trying to do the whole uh, festival circuit, it got rejected by Sundance. I was like, okay, maybe if I do some more tinkering with it, it'll, I can resubmit it to Sundance. And then I just realized you just need to go ahead and put it out there in the world. These women's stories need to be out there. So. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm glad it's finally able to get out there and women and people are finally able to find out about these extraordinary women. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe since there seems to be a renewed interest in, yeah. you know, women's wrestling, maybe yeah. this is, you know, actually the perfect time. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the thing about women's wrestling that I think a lot of people don't realize is it's wrestling in general is looked at as fake and choreographed and people are just playing characters. And these women were back in the women that I interviewed back in the 50s and 60s. They were very they were genuine athletes. They knew how to do all the wrestling holds. They were they could take down any man. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I'm an actress playing a role like how it is in Glow. I mean, these women were really, really hardcore athletes. And they were and another thing about women's wrestling that I think is not known at all is that the fans of women wrestling are the most feminist fans that you would ever come across. The men who are fans of women wrestling, women's wrestling would never label themselves feminists. But I actually went to a, a, an event called WrestleCon in Orlando last spring, and I interviewed some of the fans, and I was like, why are you, some of the male fans? And I was like, what do you like about women's wrestling? And they're like, oh, they're amazing. They can hold their own with any man. I don't know any man who's a football fan that would say, oh yeah, I, I want to see women in helmets taking on, you know, whatever famous football player. So I think that's like a misconception about wrestling fans is that they're not as progressive as, as other fans of other sports. Right. That's, you know, that's a really interesting angle I, I would have never thought about. So again, uh, Chris Bornet's program, um, is Tuesday, February 27th, 8.30 p.m., here at the Bexley Public Library Auditorium. So he is discussing his new documentary, Lady Wrestler, The Amazing Untold Story of African-American Women in the, in the Ring. And, you know, come and check out the program and, and learn more about it. And then be sure to check out the premiere of Lady Wrestler, which is Thursday, March 29th, at the Wexner Center for Arts. And I just want to thank Chris Bournet for being on the podcast again. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. And that's all the time we have for today's podcast, so thank you for listening.